Aloha. I'm Bezin Hakias with Healing with Aloha podcast. Um, this podcast is about bringing hope and healing with Aloha. And we have the honor and privilege of having the CEO of the Aslan Foundation, uh, Cynthia Peskart. And she's all the way in California. Uh, and I'm in Hawaii. However, uh, what I, I value what she is doing um, it, it's, it allows people to, to connect with others that can relate to having a loved one who possibly, you know, was impacted as a survivor, uh, you know, by having a uh, death by suicide. And, you know, she, she's been through a lot, but then she's desired to, her family to bring hope to other people. And so with further ado, I'd like to introduce to you, Cynthia. Hi, Cynthia. Oh, um, can you press the mute button? The, uh, there. Hi, how are you? I'm doing good. Um, Thank I'm so, you for having us. Yes. You know, I'm so grateful because of Instagram, I was able to um, discover your foundation and just to, to learn um, what you guys are doing to educate people about mental health and just knowing that there there's there's resources out there that we can get help in and that your foundation has taken the time to to provide that information on your website through your blog and and just the type of services uh, that not services but like what you're doing to help other families yeah thank you um we definitely realized um, that there was a need for a pool of um, organizations that provided services, especially towards adolescents. Um, there was a lot of resources in our area, at least, that uh, provided mental health services for adults. But um, in, in terms of services for adolescents, it was limited. So we realized that it was a need that hadn't been met yet. And um, it was something that we felt could make a difference in um, for other families who were going through maybe what we were going through and could definitely use that type of resource. Yeah. Can you share a little bit about your personal story with Andrew? Sure. So when Andrew was a freshman in high school, he started exhibiting uh, signs of mental illness and actually even communicating them to us. And I work in the healthcare profession, so my immediate response was to take him to see a healthcare provider. And um, it was difficult to access services for him because, as I said, in our area, even though we live in California, the heart of Silicon Valley, um, the number of services available for adolescents was very limited. Mm. Um, we had a really difficult time finding clinicians who were taking new patients. We, um, inpatient services were also very limited. The number of inpatient beds for uh, adolescents experiencing a healthcare crisis was very limited. And it was a very frustrating situation for us. Um, a lot of times we weren't met with empathy. We weren't met with competent care. Um, there was a lot of hoops to jump through in terms of insurance. So mm -hmm. there was a lot of barriers and challenges we had to get through in order to get him care. And in the meantime, he's suffering. He's struggling. Um, this, his symptoms are, are worse at other times and better at some times. But despite what his symptoms were, he still needed care. Yes. Um, and... It was several years that we went through this process of trying to get him consistent quality care. Um, and it really, it, it, was, um, it was actually quite traumatic for all of us, for the whole family, as we were dealing with Andrew's mental illness and um, his symptoms and the challenges of trying to get care and yet still maintain a you know, normal, quote unquote, family life for the rest yes. of my children. Yeah. Andrew's the youngest of five kids. Um, and so, yeah, just trying to maintain a normal 
family life, but still also dealing with one, it was honestly one crisis after another. Um, just when we thought things were going okay, then there would be another crisis. And we really, I felt as his mom could never really let down my guard, Yeah. Uh, which is why trying to find consistent quality care was such a challenge. Um, unfortunately, on Christmas Eve on 2017, Andrew was 19 years old and died by suicide. And it was also um, the days leading up to leading up to that day um, was uh, another probably week of Andrew in crisis. He had been doing okay, or so we thought. Yeah. And um, the weekend prior, it he he was in crisis and received care, but was discharged from the hospital and. Uh, within 48 hours had died by suicide. Um, so that in itself was just horrific for us. Um, yes. Andrew at that time, like I said, was 19. So he was already past the age of where I could um, make decisions for him. Oh, correct. But although yeah. he had his, um, he was going through his um, challenges with his mental health that he was old enough to make his own and so yeah. as much as you guys felt like he needed your um, assistance in receiving the proper care that they would just base it off of him yeah so that, that he's okay and he'll be fine oh yeah. okay. um and so that that was also just another really difficult um issue that we it was it's just it's hard for any family we tried communicating with andrew um prior to his crisis in terms of you know we are your safety net we are here for you if you need anything you can come to us um but you know mental illness has a way of speaking lies to a person's head and heart and even though i think andrew at the time that we were telling him these things did believe them when he was in crisis, those those other those other voices are louder. Yes, and um, it was it it was probably about a year after um, his death by suicide that I was really able to um, be any kind of voice for him in terms of uh, mental like suicide prevention and mental health advocacy. Um, our whole family struggled for at, at least a year. And, you know, it's been almost three and we still, we, we are still having a hard time dealing with his absence. Um, and at least for myself, the only thing that I can really gain any type of um, solace from is in now being his voice in terms of advocating for suicide prevention and mental health awareness, uh, which is what led to the establishment of the Aslan Foundation. Um, we have three branches. Uh, the first branch is our scholarship, and that scholarship goes to graduating high school seniors who have struggled with their mental health uh, throughout their high school career. And we felt that was really important. I'm sorry, this is in San Mateo? Okay. Correct, in San Mateo County. In San Mateo County. Um, I felt this was really important because there are so many scholarships available to students out there, but they're all, um, they're all related to certain things that maybe students with mental health have had that mental really health challenges. Is. Right, you know, trying to have uh, like a high GPA or mm -hmm. succeed academically can be difficult when someone has a chronic illness because they can't make it to class sometimes they have they're they're struggling with a mental health condition that's chronic so academically they may not qualify yeah, for those type of scholarships filling their their academics it's right. not that they don't want to be there it's just because like you said they're struggling Right, um, sports, athletics, that can also be difficult to qualify for that type of scholarship. So mm -hmm. all of the traditional um, eligibility that students 
that are offered to students in terms of scholarships are not qualify. really correct. So we felt this was really important and um, we just awarded our third, our, our scholarship for the third year in a row. And I tell you, it's so meaningful and it's so personal to give back to these students. Um, they are amazing, amazing people. And um, I feel it honor. I feel, I feel an honor and a privilege to be able to have just a small part of providing them hope for their future. Um, yeah. So it's empowering so and it's an extension of your love and giving hope. Yeah, and acknowledging everything that they have accomplished, um, despite this chronic illness that they may have. So um, that's one branch of our foundation. Um, the second branch is our website, which, as I mentioned earlier, um, is a pool of all the resources available, both locally. It's mostly local, but we also have national resources available on our website. and. It's um, organizations that offer mental health care to adolescents, especially. And that ranges anywhere from um, inpatient uh, facilities to um, facilities that offer um, criminal justice management. And some people might not understand what that means, but what that is, is when you Actually, it's not even just here in San Mateo County, but a lot of times the response to a mental health crisis is from your local police department or law enforcement. Yes. And that can really be traumatizing to a, a young person who is going through a mental health crisis. And it also can be a very unfortunate funnel that steers them into the direction of the criminal justice system as opposed to the mental health um, help that they need. So when that happens, parents are, again, at a loss. Where do they turn um, in order to make sure that their child receives the care that they need, which is almost never incarceration? Right, because um, then we become stigmatized. Yeah, and again, it's traumatizing. It, 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 it moves them in a direction that they don't belong. They really do require health care, mental health care, not incarceration. So our website has resources that, like I said, um, or it, it highlights organizations in the area that handle all kinds of mental health um, issues such as criminal justice management, um, inpatient facilities, group therapy. So all of the things that we wish we had during Andrew's illness. Yes. Yeah. And it's not that these um, organizations don't have websites that, that you can go to independently. It's that when I was looking for organizations that could provide services, I, it was like a black hole, or I won't even say a black hole, I'll say a rabbit hole, because I'd click on one website that would send me to another website, and then I'd see another website, and it was just, it, I could spend hours without really finding what, what I specifically needed, yes, and they were all very informative, but again, not necessarily providing specifically what I needed, so that's one of the things our website does, and then the third branch of our foundation is our social media. Um, we try to maintain a, a high profile on social media, and there are two groups uh, in our social media department, one which is the Aslan Foundation, and that focuses on mental health awareness and suicide prevention. Yes. And then we also have our Aslan Survivors of Suicide Loss, and that uh, social media outlet is really to support individuals who have had a loss to suicide. Um, and that one is a bit more personal in terms of that really is my voice coming through. Oh, okay. Um, the one, the Aslan Foundation um, social media, which is suicide prevention and mental health, that's uh, really more of a... Um, Comprehensive, like, correct. overview of... 
Mm-hmm. Whereas um, the, Aslan, the Aslan survivors of suicide loss really is my voice, my experience, my thoughts. Um, on occasion, we will have um, one of Andrew's siblings write one of those posts as well. So it's um, really a very personal family voice that's coming through on that one. And I have to tell you that it's a really supportive community. Um, and I feel for every person that comments on that site because I hear their pain, I hear their guilt, I hear their regret, I hear everything that they comment on because we have all felt it as well. Yes. Um, so those are the three branches of our, of our foundation and it keeps me very busy. <laughs> um, it's, things have slowed down. I don't even know if I want to say slowed down. Things have shifted a bit during COVID. Transformed, um, yeah. Yes. So not as much in-person events, obviously, mm -hmm. more this type of Zoom um, interactions. Um, but it's really, it's really encouraging to see that there is such an openness to mental health awareness and even just the number of organizations available that are providing this um, as opposed to when we were dealing with it when Andrew was a freshman in high school even that has just grown so much and as I often say it's bittersweet because while I feel so encouraged by it it's also just really hard to, for everything. Yeah, to think about how could this organization have made a difference in Andrew's life if they were around when he was struggling. Yeah, and I, I think that that is that, you know, like what you're saying is like, it's bittersweet. Like you're, you're grateful that people have that now, but looking back, and realizing that that wasn't available for him and you, your family, um, it's, it, 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 it hurts. Like, you know, um, you, you wish that you could rewind time and make it possible, but you can't. And so now you're trying to um, live in the now and, and trying to um, provide hope, you know, for, for others. Uh, what, I, I read about it. Can you share a little bit about um, what was the inspiration um, behind the, uh, the, the name, the Aslan Foundation? Yeah. So not too many people know this, and I'm not sure if my kids want it to be known, but um, I actually homeschooled my children um, for probably about 10-ish years. And um, one of the things that most of them love to do was read. Not all of them. Andrew actually preferred comic books, but um, the majority of them love to read. Um, and the Chronicles of Narnia was one of their favorites. They loved that type of genre, you know, um, Lord of the Rings, okay. Chronicles of Narnia. That was, um, yeah, that was one of their favorite genres. And when we were thinking about what name to come up with the foundation, it was really difficult to come up with a name that one that obviously that we all agreed on, mm -hmm. but one, a name that just kind of encompassed what we wanted to stand for. Um, and we went through so many different suggestions and this and that and the other. And finally we got to, you know, characters in books and Aslan kind of stood out to all of us in that um, if anyone is familiar with the story of the Chronicles of Narnia, um, it's kind of an alternate universe and there's, you know, the good and the bad, the, the evil versus good, and Aslan basically stands, represents hope, yes. which is really what we wanted our foundation to also represent, you know, one word, hope, hope for so many things, but um, that was it. And so the Aslan Foundation was born and we have felt really um, good about knowing what that name stands for and what we hope to bring to other people. Yeah, and, and I think it's, it's very um, powerful and very valuable to give hope like you said, when, when you're responding to um, survivors, um, people impacted by, by loved ones, uh, th that's, that's something you offer is hope. 
you know, that um, today you feel this way and there's hope, you know, for you to transition through this. Um, when you're grieving, your grief will stay with you. You know, time will go by and it'll still feel like yesterday. But um, your ability to to maybe touch someone's life who can share your, share your story, unfortunately, um, that you guys can hold each other up as you as you navigate going forward. Yeah, um, there are so many points I that that you bring up that um, I agree with in terms of that comment. Just in terms of you know everyone at some point in their life will experience loss. That's that's the world we live in. It's it is just it just is, um, and obviously there are some losses in our life that impact us more than others. Yes but we will all experience loss at some point. And to be in that place where you are so, it is so raw and so tender, and to be able to look around and realize that you are not alone, that everyone has experienced this, and they're all on different points of the journey, but we, we are all on this same journey. And I always say that, you know, there's a lot of platitudes and trite phrases that are overused that offer no benefit or comfort. Oh, and I... one of those, one of those is that, you know, time heals all wounds. And I always disagree with that. And I say, no, time will not heal this wound that I carry, mm-hmm. but time will make me stronger so that I can carry it and I can live with it. Um, it will never be okay. It will never be right. Like this, Andrew's death should never have happened. He should be here with us today, right now, um, living the rest of his life just like his siblings. And that will always affect me, the fact that he's not. But over time, I am definitely stronger today than I was Christmas Day 2017. Yes. Um, And that's really the only thing that I can say about time is that it will make a person stronger. It it won't take away their their pain. It won't take away their loss. Um, It will just, it will make them stronger. Yeah. And I think I agree um, with you. I think sometimes people, um, they become uncomfortable and they just say things um, to people who are grieving and hope that it'll comfort or make it better. But in actuality, it's, it adds more to the pain because, you know, although they felt that that was appropriate or they felt that was going to be helpful, it really wasn't. And so sometimes people ask like, you know, what can I do? What can I say? say, Sometimes it's just giving a hug or just being there. It's not necessarily having the right words. Um, is just um, being present Um, and then another thing is I don't know if you you can relate is um, some people don't even want to talk about it because they they fear it's gonna uh, bring you pain or hurt you but in actuality you know asking and caring you know um, offering a listening ear to to wanna I've had people uh my sister passed away back in 2001 I've had people randomly uh, walk up to me and share stories about her oh um there's this one time your sister and I we did this and you know it, it's a happy memory isn't and, that the best yeah yes and it's like a gift yeah, it's a exactly gift that someone gives you perspective of of the of the person you love you know, and, and, and it is a gift. And, and so that's why I think people need to um, be given permission to, to, to care, to ask, and to not be afraid. Because I think when people act like the white elephant, like there's a white elephant in there and they act like it's not there, I think it, it, it makes you feel more lonely or makes you feel more insecure because you're like, okay, how do I bring this up? You know, because, you know, you're not trying to... Um, like create this this mood of um like you know when you talk about grief like you're not trying to bring people down but it's part of life like you said 
you know, and I think like that's one of the things that, um, you know, when we're talking about what are some key things you wanted to share, it's, you know, normalize uh, talking about mental health, you know, and I think that's what you've been able to do through your foundation, you know, um, what, what is one thing you would like to suggest to people to, to normalize talking about mental health today? Yeah, I would say start early. Start talking about it early um, when your kids are young and give your, not just yourself, but also give your children feeling words so that they are able to recognize how they're feeling and give it a, a word so that you can communicate on the same level. You're talking the same language, you're on the same page. Um, I think that that's really important because so many people, I mean, let's be honest, they're not comfortable talking about feelings. Mm -hmm. Or and, we're never given permission to, like correct. our parents, our grandparents. It's like, you just do what I say. I don't wanna hear it, you don't talk back. Right. And so you, you now we're trying to teach our kids to express themselves like yeah this is this is important this is valuable so it yeah. goes against what we were taught mm -hmm. definitely so yeah give give your like come up with the vocabulary yourself that you are comfortable using that's appropriate and share that with your children so that you give them words to describe their feelings and how they're feeling and you, you have to start with yourself, obviously, because if you as a parent aren't comfortable with it, your kids are going to sense that a mile away and they're not going to be comfortable. So you have to get to a place where you're comfortable and think about it in terms of not only is this life or death, I mean, obviously, but it's, it's just like their physical health. We don't have, you know, it shouldn't be separate mental and physical we're all, it's all part of the same body. So just like you would talk to them about their tummy ache or their headache, talk to them about their heartache, talk to them about, you know, how, are they sad? Are they happy? Are they excited? Are they anxious? What does that mean? How does that feel? So again, start early. Um, obviously, if, if a parent is past that point in their child's age, and you know they're junior high, high school. Well, where do I start now? Again, you have to um, come up with words that you're comfortable using, and then start using them around your child. One of the things that I've heard say that I felt was a, a really um, appropriate terminology was that when kids become, you know, in that junior high, high school age. And they're already somewhat difficult um, to communicate with. Yeah. Um, how do you how do you talk to them about these things? And what was highlighted was that you really need to try to connect with them before you can actually correct them. So that can be challenging because so many parents are so focused on so many other things yeah sometimes it's a focus on academics you know yeah. right especially right now with um with the pandemic and um so um distance learning it's not like you you've done it for years but for some people it's new and if you yeah. have multiple kids you know and they're in different schools and you're trying to adjust that that's been overwhelming <laughs> for yeah people. and i'm going to be the first to admit i i was not perfect at this at all um, I think homeschooling the kids did give us the opportunity to connect quite a bit, but I was not comfortable talking about feelings. I didn't have the language. I didn't, to me, it was like, if at all, if we all get along and everything seems good, then it is good, right? <laughs> and that's, that's definitely not the case. I mean, I don't want to sit here and say, oh, I did it all right, because obviously I did not. And if you were to ask any of my kids, they will be the first to tell you, yeah, no, she didn't do it right all the time. Right. Um, and, you know, when my kids will have, when my kids have kids, they'll realize how difficult that really is to do. But hopefully at that point, they will have some type of a different base, a different foundation than I did. 
and they can build off of that, which will be more healthy in terms of communicating and talking with their kids regarding feelings. Yeah, and you know, honestly, you did the best that you could with what um, resources you had. And so hopefully they'll have um, better access to resources so that they can be more effective, you know, as parents themselves. And even for us, um, like showing a lot of grace and mercy to ourselves um, as we're learning because we, we're not gonna know everything as parents. You know, as much yeah. as we, we love our children, um, we're, we're not perfect and we're not gonna know everything. And, and like you, when you were researching the resources, there's not gonna always be the perfect resource that you need for your family you know, and so learning to persevere and, you know, keep searching. But I think the great thing is for what you've been through and what you know, um, you guys have created uh, on the website a resource for people to find. And then that could prompt them to find more resources, you know, like, oh, I never thought to look like to, to, to look at it that way. And then it could prompt them to something better you know in if they're not in California in San Mateo maybe somewhere else right yeah um there was something else that um you had brought up um that you wanted to discuss um I know normalizing sorry I'm trying to look at for um normalize I'll uh, talking about mental health and then the other thing um you wanted to um share about was um seeking appropriate care you know, now that you're where you are today, what what is the one thing that you recommend for parents um, with children? Um, do they call their medical um, plan? Um, do they call their your child's pediatrician? Uh, what what would be something you suggest for them to as a starting point? Yeah. So depending on the age of their child, um, if their child is a minor, then. Um, and it also depends on what they're noticing. Is there, is there an immediate crisis or is this something that you're just starting to notice um, symptoms emerging and it's, you know, it's something that you're keeping your eye on and not sure what to do next. So obviously in the case of a mental health crisis, um, you, would need, you would need to look at the situation and with whatever you're seeing, try to decide what is the most appropriate care that my child needs right now. I'm gonna tell you right up front that sometimes 911 is necessary. It is not always the easiest thing to do and it is not always I, I, I would say that's almost one of your last resorts. It's not the first thing you want to do. Depending on what the crisis is, the first thing you want to be able to do is de-escalate. Mm -hmm. Sometimes a parent can do that themselves. Sometimes they can't. If, you are, if your child is in crisis and you have to call 911, please specifically ask for a, a team who has been trained in mental health crises, because you don't want a police, a police, officer. police officer who has not been trained in de-escalation to show up at your door, um, to take your child in handcuffs. And, you know, all of these things can happen. And that's and not has always- happened. And has happened. And that's just not always appropriate. So when I say, to all, you know, to seek appropriate care, that's, these are the things to keep in mind. Depending on what you are experiencing, what your child is experiencing, really does determine how you should respond. Now, if these are just symptoms that you're starting to see manifesting, not in crisis, but just, huh, that seems odd, or why is my child doing this? Then definitely start with your pediatrician. Um, your pediatrician will be able to guide you, but unfortunately there are issues with insurance. There's mm. issues with um, finding clinicians who will 
take children. Because that's not um, their specialty. Yeah. And it's, um, it's very unfortunate, but I do understand that, um, you know, psychiatrists slash psychologists, they need to earn a living. And when they see a certain, a specific type of patient, there's not always very good insurance reimbursement. So there's very little motivation to go into that specialty. Oh, okay. So interesting. Like yeah. they, they're going to go where they know they're going to get reimbursed for the, the medical coverage. Yeah. Although maybe they could um, be able to service is just, the 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 loopholes are the yeah it it yeah it it's difficult and so they will they're going to refer to what is is the best way for them to be compensated for their services what yeah and that's i mean that's a, that's a very hard rea harsh reality but that is the bottom line that you won't find a lot of pediatric psychiatrists because it's so specialized unless there's, you know, either a major um, medical facility in your area that's also, you know, maybe a teaching hospital or where there's research being done. There's just not a lot of motivation for these clinicians to go into that specialty. Now, I'm not going to, I don't want to generalize too much because I definitely have to acknowledge that there are clinicians out there that go into that field despite what reimbursement is, because they want to make a difference. And that's, you know, to be applauded because um, there is such a need. Mm -hmm. um, there is such a need. So, you know, those are the two extremes in terms of, you know, minor symptoms that you're happening to notice over time and calling your pediatrician versus a, a crisis where you may have to call 911. The other thing I want to bring up about a mental health crisis that really, if it was available during Andrew's illness, we weren't aware of it, but there are facilities now that are offering a stable, they're offering stabilization units. So it's not an emergency room oh. and a, a parent can drive their child there, can stay with their child while the medical team at this unit stabilizes and deescalates the situation. They will then um, reassess after, after the crisis is over and determine whether the child needs to go to an inpatient unit or if the child can be discharged with parents and just follow up with a mental health professional. So there's a lot of, you know, there's a spectrum, mm -hmm. but it really is looking at your particular situation and evaluating what type of care does my child need right now. Now, if, you're, if your child is over 18, that's a completely different set of rules and circumstances. So I'm not gonna go too deep into that other than this one very, very important aspect of it. When, if your child has ever had a history of mental illness, once they reach 18, you will no longer have access to their medical Wild. records. You will not have a voice in their care or treatment, their discharge, and what you have to do prior to them. You don't even have to do it prior to them becoming 18, but do it when they are in a healthy space is have them fill out a, um, I'm drawing a blank as to what the name of it is, but is basically like a it's, an, attorney or? It's, it's an advanced directive. Basically oh, okay. it says, um, that has the, the, the person's name and says, I authorize, you know, insert parent's name to have access to my records, to know about my treatment plan to, and you can list a variety of things um, yeah. so yeah. that, so that when they're in crisis, not thinking clearly, no one is, everyone's trying to figure out what do I do? And you get to, you get to that point of care parents will then be able to support their child as opposed to being, you know, not being even allowed on the unit, which wow. can happen. Because of the, their privacy, because they're adults and they're not kids anymore. Yes. And there so, is a link. Um, would to, they go through for the um, advanced directive? Would they go through their pediatric? Uh, 
or would they have to go to a psychiatrist? No, actually, there's a link on our website. It's called a psychiatric advance directive, I believe. There's a link on our website, and it's basically just a form um, that they fill out, and everyone signs it. And I don't recall if it needs to be notarized, but it is. it can become part of the patient's medical record. There's also... Um, something that parents should consider doing whether or not their child is a minor or over 18 and that is establish a safety plan. Um, we did that with Andrew and it was basically coming up with a plan that everyone is in agreement with, everyone is comfortable with, so that there is a plan in place no matter what the situation is, everyone knows what to expect. For example, if a parent finds that the child is cutting, have a discussion with the child. This is going to be the plan. If I, just, if I find you're cutting, we are going to do ABC. So the parent knows what to do, the child knows what to expect, and that's the plan. Mm. If, um, and, and it just makes everything very clear cut. And like real on um, like open lines of communication mm -hmm. prior to the crisis. Correct. Yeah. So all of these things are really important when you are dealing with someone who has a mental illness. And you may even want to consider it if, you know, your child is not necessarily struggling, but, you know, the, t the adolescent years are very tumultuous. And depression is not uncommon. Anxiety is not uncommon. And having a conversation with that, with your child about, about, those things and how they can affect them and what can be done. How can the child be supported by parents? All of these conversations are just so valuable to have prior to any of this ever even manifesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, and I think that is the first time I've ever heard of that. And I think it's important um, because you're right, like if you can have a conversation prior to the crisis and, you know, be able to come up with, okay, this is what we're going to do. Um, these are the plans or even like doing the, um, is it direct? What is it again? The psychiatric advanced directives. Yeah. Psychiatric advanced directive. Um, that, that helps you to know that, you know, you're, you're going the extra mile to be able to, to meet the needs, you know, for your child. Um, you know, as a teen and then when they get older, um, whether or not they, they want to, at least you know that these are your options and that you can pursue it and, and hope that you can be there for them. Yeah, and the, the, the child can completely participate in this when, you know, you come up with a safety plan and the child said, and let's just say, for example, the question is, you know, if I'm having a panic attack, this is who I want you to call, or this is what makes me feel better, or please remind me to breathe or to ground myself. Like it's um, almost just another tool in the toolbox of how to support your child in, in their life, basically. Mm -hmm. Because everybody has different needs. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm really grateful that you share that because, um, I, you know, been involved with um, friends um, that have had family members um, die by suicide, um, but I don't know if they, they even knew about what you're sharing today, and I think it's valuable, and, you know, I hope people can, like, research it and look into it um, so that they don't feel like there's no options and there's no, you know, um, it, like, like what we talked about, like connecting the dots and you being able to provide hope and guidance to people, um, you know, whether or not people take it, that's their decision, but that you, you, you offer it for people to, to be able to access it. Yeah. And I have to also admit that a lot of this, we didn't know prior um, and wish we had. Yeah. And, and I, I think, I mean, just even the psychiatric advanced directive, 
I mean, that, that in itself is, it's powerful because like you said, when, when they, they hit 18, it's like, you can't, you can't do anything. You know what I mean? As far as being able to, to understand what's going on, you're locked out, you know, whereas now you know that there's an option for you to be able to stay involved, you know, in their care. And if they become incapable of making decisions for themselves that you already had a discussion with them prior to, and that you're able to uh, communicate their needs, even if at the moment they can't, but that they already had expressed, this is what I want, you know, and then you can be that voice for them. And Mm -hmm. so I'm really grateful that, that you share that. Uh, Do you know what can happen? Like after the fact, if they turn 18, um, is there any other way? Did you find um, another resource? Because the advanced directive is done before they turn 18. No, the advanced directive can be done at any point in time. Okay, so um, like after they turn 18. Yes. Okay. So when a child turns 18 legally, they um, have they don't have to include parents, but. I have also noticed that as um, a child reaches adolescence, parents are frequently not included in a care plan. Um, so even so, it's beneficial to have one even prior to 18, um, even if it's just not even if it's not the legal document to have something some type of understanding, some type of conversation, something in writing saying, this is what we have discussed. This is what I'm comfortable with, what my child is comfortable with. Um, this is what we've agreed upon. Um, I think just the fact that you you know, have these conversations with your child already opens things up to, um, to your child knowing that you want to be involved, that you are going to support them no matter what, because, you know, that's another topic for maybe another day, but kids can feel like they're a burden, that their mental illness is a burden on the family. And why can't they just be like, you know, their sibling who doesn't have to deal with all of these things. And um, it really does open up a conversation to let them know that, you know, we're not, we're here. We're not giving up. This is something you are loved. You are not a burden. We are not. We are committing to get you through this. We will be your safety net no matter what. And being able to express that and just let that child know that um, that they are and always will be a valued member, loved member, beloved, you know, treasured member of the family. Yes. Um, in itself, can be powerful. Yeah, it can provide um, that that's like you said the safety net and and the reminder that they're loved that although they don't feel they can be loved for what they're going through that they are loved and that they're supported you know and everybody handles um life differently and whatnot but you know i really appreciate just the way you are um, addressing it and you know helping other family members to to navigate and not feel alone in in this because now you know what you know all you can do is put put that information out there for others yeah yeah and it's it's it was a resource that was needed i i don't want to de-emphasize any of the work that any of the other organizations out there are doing they're amazing they're incredible they are you know on the front lines um, I'm just trying to make it easier for families to find them. Yeah, no, and, and and that's great. Like you said, it was a rabbit hole for you, like finding things. And so, you know, you're just trying to minimize people having to go, you know, and maybe the information that you have isn't what they need, but at least you have tried to create it in an organized manner so that it, it'll help them to be able to to guide them better than when you went you're googling and trying to find things yeah pages and pages you know google just yeah it's it sent me everywhere 
it, like I said, definitely, you, you can be hours on the internet trying to find something Indeed. that, mm -hmm. yeah, and then you just lose hope because <laughs> you're like, this is too much, you know what I mean? It is, it's information overload. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm so grateful um, just for the, your time and, you know, what you're doing um, for Andrew, your family, and uh, the other families, um, that you guys are making a difference and that this can um, touch someone else's life um, who, who can also make a difference by caring, you know, whether it's, you know, if they decide to start their own foundation or to do a fundraiser or if they guide people back to what the, the resources you have or people share their stories. Um, you know, bringing hope and healing. Healing is it's an ongoing process. It's not a quick fix. Um, grief, it's it's a journey. It's a personal journey, and everybody's gonna um, be able to process differently. Um, and like you said, like we're all gonna uh, face some kind of loss. Uh, some that we expect, and some that are more tragic. Um, yet, you know, that connects us in some shape, way, or form. So can you share um, what is the best way to, to find your foundation, the website, mm -hmm. and then your Instagram accounts? Yes. Uh, so our website is the aslandfoundation.org. Our Instagram is the Asland Foundation. And then, as I mentioned earlier, we also have Asland Survivors of Suicide Loss. And we're both on Instagram and on Facebook. And I just want to say thank you so much for having me on today. Um, it's always, I, I always say that Andrew will always be the face of our foundation, but I am his voice. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak and share his story and hopefully give hope to other families that are dealing with some of the same issues that we have had to to deal with over these years. Yeah, it, it's definitely an honor and a privilege um, for you to, to share your voice. And, you know, I, I know that a lot, a lot of parents um, can resonate with you, you know, and survivors can appreciate your efforts. And so thank you for what you do. Um, hold on just a second. Thank you everybody for joining us on this episode with Healing with Aloha. Um, have a great day. Aloha.